Hello and welcome and it is Wednesday and it's This Is Going Well, I think, with David Cooper. I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I think, the show where no one's listening, no one cares, the show where every episode's the last episode. I don't know if you've been following the offbeat news in the last week, but there were some pretty wild images of an expert, a quote-unquote expert, testifying to Mexican government officials and showing samples of alien specimens. Uh, They were absolutely ridiculous. I don't think any rational person would believe these photos. Was there something going on there? Is there a there there? We're going to find out with Dr. Lee Kunla. He is a professor of political science at Humber College. He hosts a podcast about conspiracy theories called the Uncover Up Podcast. You can download that wherever podcasts are played. We're going to talk all things aliens, this story, and maybe more. Put on your diving caps. We're diving in. to see you it was good to see you man you're very handsome you know that yeah yeah, this is why i come on your show (laughs) that's that's the one reason it's it starts with a compliment and i'm like that's made my day so um we don't have a ton of time i know you gotta go in about half hour let's do it let's do it well that's the thing about this format and i'm really glad to have you on this fucking format and yes i'm taping we can be loose We can be the David and Lee that I've come to know between the interviews. Exactly. Okay, let's do it. I don't need to call you Dr. Lee. I don't need to say you're on the stupid, stupid radio network. No, no, no. What is your show, by the way? When I was, uh, I had to cancel a lunch date for this. I was glad to do it. It it was with a colleague of mine. Wow. That's an accolade right there. I mean, that's, that's now in my bio. A guest once canceled lunch date to attend show. Handsome, handsome guest. No, <laughs> um, she and she said, "Oh, I miss David Cooper's show. I used to. She's a night owl. Wow. And she's like, I used, to, I loved listening to him. So you've got at least one fan beyond Nathan and I who want to know where do we get your show now? Like, what is the show? Jew dot pizza. Wait, that's that's the show? No, no, just www.jew dot pizza that's my website because that's your that was your email address right yeah that's my amazing email address okay uh yes yeah, your friend can you know i'm taping right now i don't have to include this in the show but i want to and i probably will to be honest okay if i were to ever tape without you knowing and you were to say something that would end your career i of course would never i appreciate that i appreciate that yeah i would cut that from the show <laughs> That's sort of the deal. I surprise guests with dubious consent by taping at the beginning and getting those awesome bits. But implicit in that deal is if they say something wild, I would never, I would delete it immediately. Okay. But I like the show talking about where to find the show. If you just type David Cooper into whatever podcast app you use, Spotify, whatever, you have a podcast. You know what it's like. I know. I know how to do that. I know. I know the internet and things. But it's really funny because me and this fire and brimstone, plastic surgery heavy 
Christian lifestyle, whatever mega church pastor named David Cooper has a podcast as well. Oh wow! And him and I are neck and neck. Like, because he releases it on the daily, I release it on the daily, and I think these algorithms favor that above all else. Certainly not quality, because then I wouldn't be at the top for David Cooper. But I'm neck and neck with him. So that's amazing. There's something to be said for holding your own with a like mega church pastor. I mean, they've got like a dedicated following. He's had so much plastic surgery. It's wild. I I I don't know if he's 40 or 70 to be honest. <laughs> that he's got to be 70. But I keep on getting my producer of this show, Danny, to reach out to him and by that I mean she hasn't done it yet and I want her to do it, but I've reached out to him. And he just doesn't respond. His people don't respond. His publicist, for whatever reason, wants nothing to do with me. I wonder why. So, yes, your friend can just search <laughs> my name. It's like the show I did for pay, except it's a little looser, a little funkier, a little more surreal, a little less. No offense to people interested in Canadian politics, he says to the political science professor. <laughs> no, you know what? You know, speaking as a political science professor, I totally get it. I do. It's like Bell Media wanted me to cover a bare minimum of normal stuff. And so I did it. And I was there was always this fight between this one producer of mine who I think is the one who introduced you to me. I won't name him. Okay. But the boss wanted him to inject more political content in my show. I was fighting back, but he would do it anyway. And when you have a four-hour radio show, you just take what your producer gives you because if you go rogue, it's so much more work. Sure. Okay. So there's a little less of that. Not that I'm not interested in politics. I just, I'm not as interested in the daily minutia that gets covered by the media. I'm glad people do it. I listen to it. But for me, creating it is not like a passion of mine. Yeah, I get it. Talking with people like you is a passion of mine. Aww. Talking with experts about offbeat stories where the stories are often a foil for just messing around, having fun, going off script. I always talk about David Letterman and those uh, those animal guys, like the zookeeper that would come on. Yeah. You know, the guy would be wanting to tell him about Wolverine breeding patterns, but the Wolverine <laughs> would take a dump on the stage. And the, it would be about both, right? It would be about this expert, passionate, but also about cracking jokes about the poop on the stage. And that's why I thought of you when I saw those fucking bizarro Mexican, what was it? It was like in Mexican Congress and the Mexican legislature. These guys were testifying in front of Mexican officials with like paper mache alien bodies. Yeah. And it's not that it happened, although it is. It's not that it was the most shitty evidence for aliens that I've ever seen. It's that these Mexican officials were staring at whoever was presenting it with a straight face. That's what I find the most unbelievable about all this. Yeah, you know... Oh, man, there's so much to say here. I I found it so unbelievable, too, that I started getting suspicious about what else was going on here. Like, I normally find that a really dubious strategy. Like, why are we talking about this as opposed to something else? But it was so stupid and it was so hokey. I mean, there was a guy in the audience who was at the U UAP hearings early in the summer in the States, Ryan Graves. Yeah, the, the serious ones that sort of were presented with actual evidence and the conclusion was it's inconclusive, which is the best you can say about this stuff. He was down there and he was like, oh my goodness, what a disaster. Shit show. Well, he tweeted to say like, this was just, this has set us back so far. So I started thinking like, what 
what is going on here? Is this some smokescreen so we don't talk about, you know, I Googled actually just as a prep for your show, how many politicians were gunned down uh, in the last election in Mexico? And it was more than a hundred, like more than a hundred people running for office were like shot on the street, murdered. You know, I was like, that's where I started to go with this because it was so bizarre. Wow. It took me on this whole other trajectory where it's like, okay, what are you hiding? Like, what what is the thing you don't want me to be talking about right now? This is why they pay you the big bucks, because for me and everyone else, we looked at the photos, we looked at the images being presented, and we just thought, what a ridiculous thing. The fact that cartels or whoever were operating in Mexico doing dubious things, gunning down politicians, there's some other story going down in Mexico that they want to obfuscate or detract from, that didn't even occur to me. And you, so you you think it, it must be something like that, or at least that you're suspicious of something like that? Well, it hadn't occurred to me either until it was just I, it was just so ridiculous. I'm like, okay, what is it? Like you can't expect me to be taking this seriously, right? Um, so that's what I started to that's sort of where my somewhat suspicious mind led me. Like, what else is going on in Mexico that we shouldn't be talking about? Um, I mean, I thought there was some overlap there also with the UAP hearings earlier in the summer where, you know, I do think that the UAP phenomenon or what we used to call UFOs is it it can be a national security threat. It's been something that people in positions of power have worried about for a really long time. And so I think there's a legitimate question to look into. NASA then came out just recently saying, hey, there's some stuff here we can't explain. This could be a really interesting scientific project. But also I was like some of the the major Grush testimony, right? So he's the intelligence official who is like, oh no, we're reverse engineering alien spacecraft. We have alien bodies, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, this is taking up a lot of oxygen in the room. Like what else is going on here that we really need to be talking about? Like what kind of things should the you know oversight committee be maybe overseeing? Like climate change or school shootings or the massive debt or, you know, all kinds of other things. Insane cost of education in the U.S., healthcare, massive division between the left and right. Lack of public transportation. How Trump got elected. What's go? How is he going to maybe get elected again? But also he might be in jail before then. Like, okay, these are the serious topics. And we have some, well, the ideas we call these people kooks. Because the people in power want you to call them kooks. Because what are they hiding? I think UAPs probably were a massive national security threat in the 40s, 50s, 60s when it was like, oh no, it might be Rusky, it might be Russian space, uh, sorry, aircraft that we don't understand that's way better than ours that could kill us all and deliver a nuke. Like, But nowadays, do we think governments are creating crafts that are capable of what these UAPs are potentially doing or well there was the whole chinese spy balloon and that that okay i have to just preface that by saying i am not a hundred percent sure that it was of chinese origin although that's certainly become the kind of prevailing narrative and i'll go with that for now there were certainly incursions in canadian and american airspace of 
uh, terrestrial, that is, you know, humanly made objects that were not made by the Canadian or American military that were shot down, right? So there could still be some national security questions even today. I think you're right. In the 50s, especially, it was an it was a real big question about, well, maybe the Soviets have got something through Project Paperclip, where uh, both the Americans, but then also the Soviets went into uh, defeated Germany and pulled out a bunch of scientists. And then the Americans used them for their, you know, their rocket programs and their space programs. But what, did, what were the Russians doing? Were they maybe the Soviets, you know, were they maybe like building flying saucers or who knows what? Maybe they got some tech. So, yeah, there was interest back then. There's potentially still interest today. But also, I was like, hmm. We're talking about, you know, we're not even really talking about that with the UAP hearings. We're talking about like whether the whether whether basically X-Files is like a history show where we have underground bunkers with, you know, alien corpses and a reverse engineering alien tech, which seems to me a lot less serious and and overlaps kind of with the Mexican fiasco of the mummies where it's just so unserious that it's like, huh, wonder. Do you think we've been visited by aliens, Lee? I don't. I mean, it sounds like, because I always, when I come on, when, when we do, Nathan and I do our podcast, or when we get invited onto shows like yours, I feel a lot like just, I'm throwing a wet blanket on all of our cool, fun sci-fi ideas. <laughs> well, I definitely think there's aliens out there. I mean, yeah. but the idea that they visited us in any kind of time scale where we've had the ability to even write it down, I don't think they have. So that, that, that's kind of where I'm at. I agree with you. So, I, I, I mean, if you ask me like my personal opinion, I don't think we have been visited. I also, but there's, the thing is, we have to follow the evidence too. I mean, it's kind of irrelevant what I think about gravity or what I think about radiation. There's a certain kind of, there's an objectivity to it, or there, there we should approach it with that. And I think it's the same thing with these kinds of questions where it's like, okay, I have my opinion. I don't think we've been visited. I think there is an interesting kind of narcissism there where it's like, well, we're cool. I mean, obviously people would want to come visit us, like go through billions of kilometers of empty space to come arrive here. But I don't see any compelling evidence. What happened though, on the same day that the uh, Mexican aliens were unboxed, and you know what? Like normally I like unboxing videos. Like I go to YouTube and I like I like watch people unbox stuff. I know. Like when I'm interested in guitars or computers or whatever, I just watch people buy the shit that I'm not going to waste my money on and unbox it. They're they're so boring, but they're so much fun. Exactly. So I was I was expecting I was I was expecting to have more fun with that than than I did with the aliens. But the same day, right? The very same day that that's happening. The James Webb Telescope, did you see this? No. Um, NASA released a, a statement that the James Webb Telescope has discovered on a planet 120 light years away. Wow. A molecule that on Earth is only created by living things. So this is an Earth-like planet, an exoplanet. It's orbiting a sun uh, out there somewhere, 120 light years away. And in the atmosphere, 
is the presence. Uh, I had to write it down because I'm not a chemist. I'm lo- reading this article right now and I don't know how I missed this. This is fascinating, but please go on. Isn't it fascinating? And so this to me is like really, you know, some of the most compelling evidence potentially, again, we have to follow the evidence on earth. We only know about uh, living things. I think it's um, marine algae that create this and send it up into the atmosphere. And so this is like some of the most compelling evidence that we've ever gotten for for extraterrestrial life. Now, I know it's not your kind of like sci-fi, super advanced, you know, like whatever. It is kind of boring. It's like, okay, we found a planet. We did, what is it? Mass spectrometry, spectrometry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They figured out, okay, there's a molecule that these ocean faring dwellers, whatever, plankton, bacteria create. But wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I know you say it's boring, but for me, I'm like, if, if there is life like that close, then this might suggest that Life isn't quite like we had it in the Drake equation where it's it's like super, super unlikely and it just happened to happen here. And maybe, you know, it could happen billions of kilometers somewhere else. Maybe life is like a thing that happens a lot in the universe. That's what I think. I think the real reason we haven't been visited is maybe it's something to do with the light speed barrier. It's not crossable. And so to visit a civilization takes fucking forever. And it just hasn't happened to us in the last three, four, five thousand years since we've been writing things down. Uh, and we can kind of verify it. I, I know humanity's been writing things down for longer than that, but y- you see my point. I just think that it's the time scale is why we haven't been visited yet. Or maybe we're on the early end of the curve. Maybe when a universe becomes 13, 14 billion years old, then it starts teeming with life and it's around the same stage we are, you know, and it takes a while for civilizations to become spacefaring or maybe there's some, you know, reason why it's extremely difficult or just not worth it to visit other planets. Exactly. I mean, I agree with all of those points. Um, One rather cynical uh, theory is that once, maybe the reason we haven't been visited is that once civilizations get to a certain level of sophistication, they just kill themselves. They just blow themselves up. That's somewhat cynical, but you know, the way we're going, I can, I, there is some, there is something there. If you think of technology as kind of life, like it has some evolutionary agenda, you know, like you can't stop the progress of technology. No one person can do it now. You know, microchips getting faster, AI getting better, weapons getting stronger. So, like, maybe technology, when a civilization has it, eventually they just destroy themselves. And that's kind of a statistical pattern. I don't know. It's cynical. It's completely a claim with no evidence or basis. But I just mean these are there are other reasons why we haven't been visited that are pretty grim. Yeah. And I mean, okay, look. I'll just throw something else out there. You and I are on the same page, but when, you know, consensus makes me nervous. So I always feel like when we develop, I have to like maybe just take the other position, just just to test it out. So there is something called the Fermi paradox. And Enrico Fermi was a contemporary of Frank Drake, who came up with the Drake equation. Quickly tell me what the Drake, I know what the Drake equation is, but for anyone listening. Right. The Drake equation is a sort of statistical guess at the likelihood that life would emerge. And it deliberately uses really unlikely numbers. So give you a quick rundown. It's like, well, how many stars have planets that are roughly the size and shape of Earth with oxygen and water? And you say, well, maybe it's like one in a billion, you know, or one in 10 billion. Okay, well, 
how many of those planets would develop some kind of basic life? And you say, well, okay, maybe it's one in a billion. And you go on like this, and the equation has, I think, like eight or 10 parameters in it. And it's, and then you say, well, okay, so how likely, according to this, is it that there would be intelligent life just in our galaxy? And the number is really big. <laughs> the number is in the thousands. I mean, it obviously depends on the parameters you put in. And actually, if any of your audience want to try this, there are Drake equation calculators online. So you just put that in, and then you can play around with the numbers yourself. And they're always, no matter how unlikely you make the starting, you know, the starting inputs, you still come out with thousands or hundreds of thousands of, you know, civilized people or aliens out there that are spacefaring. I think that's the important thing that can develop traveling through space. So is the paradox, why haven't we been visited yet? Exactly. So then Enrico Fermi, who is sort of a contemporary, is like, all right, so where is everybody? The universe is like 12, 13 billion years old, somewhere in there. There should have been enough time, even if it like takes forever. Like even if you're traveling at sublight speeds and you're kind of planet hopping and you, you get from one planet to another and then you set up a civilization there and then it, you know, hops to another planet, a, you know, a century later. At this point, says Enrico Fermi, the whole galaxy should be colonized with whoever those like super advanced aliens are. The fact that they're not, and we don't even get any signals from them through SETI, for example, which is this research project that's looking for these signals. How come we don't see anybody out there? So maybe maybe it is just us and algae all over the place. Maybe, although I'm looking at this wonderful photo of a alien in Mexico in what looks like a coffin. And maybe they're maybe they're already with us. I don't know. You were crescendoing at a point before the uh, the Fermi paradox, <laughs> I, and I interrupted Was you. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could re-crescendo. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> well, do we want to talk about the about the unboxed aliens? I mean, maybe I'm just like full of it, right? No. Like maybe there it is. Like there's the evidence. Why don't I just accept the evidence? Well, I'm I'm still fascinated by this James Webb discovery. And when people say like, "Do you believe in God? Are you spiritual?" I'm like, all I need to do is look at the science look at the stars, and for me, that's spirituality. It's amazing what we know that we're a part of, but for some reason, a planet with a gas or a molecule in its atmosphere that could be signs of life isn't enough. You know, they they want the fantastical, supernatural almost kind of thing, and that's what's being presented in Mexico, and then those rational people among us laugh, but people will buy this, which is what's scary to me. People will buy it, and... You know, there was one thing, there was, I think the only thing Newt Gingrich ever said that I thought was insightful <laughs> and I learned from was that, and he was talking sort of about how to shape political discourse. And he's like, there are those nerds who, I mean, this is a paraphrase, um, there are those nerds who like pay attention. You know, they're constantly reading uh, the political reviews and all of this kind of stuff. There may be, you know, Washington insiders, there's those people. And then there's the rest of us. And we're not really paying attention. And so what we get is just a kind of like, we hear stuff and we, yeah, it kind of resonates with us or it doesn't. And most of us, most of the time, of course, I include myself in this. Most of us, most of the time, don't dig any deeper. So 
I think this is how this 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 alien unboxing thing works. Like if you are already in the camp of say David Grush, who gave the testimony earlier in the summer, who is like, yeah, we've been visited. The the government knows about it. Maybe other governments know about it. They've been keeping it a secret. The whole you know the whole X Files plot basically. If that's already your starting assumption, then this is just kind of like evidence that you can take on board and you can just kind of accept it. It's confirmation bias. You're starting with a conclusion, as fantastical it is, and then you see evidence that confirms it. And yet, what I think is true, you see evidence that contradicts it and you don't buy it. No, exactly. And what happens is most of us don't bother to really research it. I mean, why would you, right? Like, if if you're not like me <laughs> and, and totally obsessed with this subject, you hear this and you're like, well, that's ridiculous, and you move on. Well, the rational among us, we feel we don't need to dig deeper if we're not expressing opinions. But the problem is there's people who express opinions, often incorrect ones or wrong ones or problematic ones, who don't dig deeper. And those are the people who the algorithms elevate. You know, the the kind of anti-intellectual bullshit you see on, on extreme right-wing Twitter, for example, or X or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't care. Whatever it's called these days, right? Yeah. Those tweets that say wild, unbased claims... Uh, about the government, the U.S. government, whatever. Not that the U.S. government is good. It's one of the most evil institutions I know. But that's the problem. Those rational among us on all those fields. Like, I'm telling you, I don't love doing political content. I don't necessarily dig deep. I do read the news. I am somewhat up to date. I'm actually behind the scenes kind of a news junkie, even though I don't love talking about it. But like, because I don't dig deeper, because I'm not educated in one small area, I just don't express wild opinions that are polarizing and aren't based in fact. But the problem is those who don't dig deeper, who do express wild opinions, those are who I worry about. Yeah. And you're right. The algorithms push it up. They, you know, the the content has always got to be a little more hyperbolic than the last piece to keep you interested in whatever platform you're on, TikTok, YouTube, whatever. And so we are creating an information landscape out there in which not only is it full of confirmation bias, but it's sort of constantly heightening the discourse in in whatever ways that you happen to be into. I mean, this, I'm sure, I haven't actually done an objective test here, but I'm sure that if you started your TikTok um, endeavors with uh, being interested in cute little furry dogs, you know, by the, by by video 100, it's a thousand cute furry dogs and with cute furry cats, you know, it's just whatever is like the next video that's going to just heighten that a little bit. And you're right. I mean, it's all of us too. Like we're emotional thinkers to a, a, a large extent. And this kind of stuff, somebody else has some kind of rage that they express on my behalf. It feels good. I don't know. I'm just thinking of the algorithm and the way you can surface mis or disinformation. And it really is the wet dream of the surveillance state, like the East German, like Stasi or whatever. Like all the tools are available now. And yet we don't think we're living in a state like that. You know, it's I'm I'm even more cynical on that front. Like the East German surveillance state was very heavy handed and a little you know, a little reductive and blunt, right? They would like, you, you, you didn't tow the party line and you would get threatened or you would be, you know, thrown in one of their political prisons, which I've in fact visited. And today it's so much more 
insidious because it's based in a larger part on my choices. I get free reign. You know, it's like here's a whole bunch of stuff you might be interested in. And more and more, I get sucked into discourses that are divisive, that are not good information. Don't give me the power to actually make informed political decisions and have the same effect or maybe even a better effect than those kind of old school Stasi KGB kind of tactics. Don't need to throw people in jail right now. You can just control them through other means, through the algorithms, through the TikTok. I fucking hate TikTok. It's just, it's that first video that they want you to engage with to learn about you. I just find it so like nails on a chalkboard. I I just don't want to get sucked in. I'm on the other ones, so I don't know what I'm complaining about TikTok for, but Yeah, I just, can we talk about, sorry, (laughs) I just want, I want to go over how fucking ridiculous those, (laughs) is it weird to hear me swear? No, no, no. It's very on brand. Okay. I just, I. You're shirtless. You've got the (laughs) tattoos. I mean, you know, if you didn't swear, I'd be like, where's David? What's happening? I I am wearing a tank top. I'm not completely shirtless. (laughs) Uh, I thought this interview was two hours later than it was. So I might've just rolled out of bed. You got clothes on. When I used to do commercial radio, I just had such a clean, by not by choice, by the control of the surveillance state of Bell Media. Yeah, yeah. I I still kind of work for them. I should keep my mouth shut, Uh, (laughs) but I won't. Not important. Fuck. I was talking about... (laughs) The aliens, I do want to hear, I gave a cursory description, a, I didn't dig too deep into this description in true David Cooper style at the beginning of this interview. However, with our last few minutes, I do want to hear your take on what you saw. Like I saw some of the videos, I saw some of these stories. Admittedly, as much as I talk about hating social media, I read the various threads on Reddit, panning it. And honestly, my opinion was probably formed from reading those. Like I came in saying, and we all laughed. It's so funny. But really, I'm just parroting one source. And if that source were lying to me, I probably wouldn't have dug any deeper. But that's a side conversation that honestly, we already had. Can you tell me descriptively about what happened and what you saw? Because it was so funny. Yeah. Okay. So in the Mexican Congress, there is an unboxing of what basically looks like E.T., like full on, like the filmic version of E.T. That's not exactly, but if you haven't seen it, that's a very close analog. These are mummified, small human-like beings, elongated heads. Um, On camera, they look a bit like they're made out of stone or something, or as you said earlier, paper mache. They were revealed by a guy named Jamie Musan, and Hami Musan, because Mexican, so... uh, uh, Jane as an H, but I, I, I might just anglicize it. Um, he is a known scammer. So that's already useful knowing going n- knowing about him going into it. Like he in 2015 uh, revealed, quote unquote, a mummified child and uh, claimed it was an alien body and it, it wasn't. He has revealed other things that ended up being having very terrestrial origins. There's a dark side to this where, like you, I kind of thought this was kind of a joke and it was silly, but uh, the Peruvian Congress has, not for the first time, gotten quite upset about what they regard as illicit harvesting of their pre-Columbian or pre-European contact archaeological heritage. So what these 
quote unquote alien bodies probably are, are thousand year old Peruvian mummies that are created. And we don't know, and by we, I'm referring to experts in this field, because I am so far, like, I am so not an expert in Peruvian archaeology or anything related to any of that kind of stuff. So I had to, you know, defer to a lot of people who in various forums uh, have spoken up about what this actually is. And they seem to be some kind of potentially religious or art-like objects. They are created out of mostly animal bodies, and then they have kind of skin and it's a little not pleasant glue and maybe even some human remains mixed in with it. Now, these ones that were shown look like they've been tampered with, in which case what we're dealing with is religious archaeological artifacts. How were these, you know, who got them? How did they get across the border? They're being presented in the Mexican parliament, in Mexican Congress. Are there Peruvian representatives here? Were they consulted about it? They are. There was a lot of people in Peru who were livid. You know, uh, elected officials, scientists, archaeologists who are like, this is also not the first time they say we've had to debunk this kind of nonsense. It goes, and I had to take a look back at this. I remember this book. It goes all the way back to 1968, where there's a book that was released called Chariot of the Gods, where these geoglyphs, you know, these things um, in Peru, they're like these kind of um, geometric shapes or animal shapes that you can only see from space. No. And they're carved into the landscape or carved into the mountains. And in the, the, so there was a, a book claiming that these were actually landing pads for aliens. Of course. You know, and uh, and it, it's again this whole like ancient aliens, aliens built the pyramids, aliens, anything that we find surprising or mildly unexplainable, there will be some somebody who's going to write a book and make a ton of money claiming that they're aliens. Now, this uh, Musang guy who we know has a history of these kinds of hoaxes, he is also deeply invested in the UFO alien scene and is making money off of it. He knows one of the representatives in the Mexican Congress. He's hit him up before with other uh, other kinds of scams like this. And he's the one who brought it into the Mexican Congress, which also is a really weird place to put something like this. Like what? Like does the Mexican Congress always reveal new archaeological or some kind of findings? Like it's a legislative body. Like what the heck are they doing? So experts have reviewed this. They're like, no, these are desiccated Peruvian mummies from pre-contact era about a thousand years ago. Um, this guy is a known scammer. He's perpetrated hoaxes. He's he he stands to make money off of this. He gets a reputation. Of course, we're all talking about him now. And you know, again, there's going to be a subset of people who are like, oh, there's something to this. He'll get invited on to shows. And so I think it's really quite and again, like you had Ryan Graves, who is also himself quite invested in the UFO UAP scene, who's who even he is like, this is ridiculous. Like, come on, this is this is putting the whole conversation, you know, back a generation. 
So there's evidence apparently of glue. We know it's just like it's not a credible, yeah. you know, mummified remain of an alien, but it is probably looted archaeological Peruvian heritage. So if we don't dig in, the question is, what's going on? What is this distracting from? If we do dig in, it starts getting ugly, stealing a country's religious ancient artifacts. It's funny. I, I thought this story was so ridiculous and laughable and it. I don't know. It's just kind of sad that once we look at it, it's just ugliness all around. Sorry, I always take it dark. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's my thing. It's not like that, Lee. <laughs> Lee, it is so good to talk to you. It's been, what, eight or nine months, and it feels like we've spoken in the last week. You're such a good guy. Aw. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me on this show. When I thought of this podcast, I knew you were someone I wanted to engage. I kind of lament that I didn't bring you in sooner, but... Well, I know you've tried. I know you've tried. That's been partly my fault, and I'm so delighted that you're back on and got running your own show now and get to do your thing, and I am going to hold you to getting me back on. I want to come back. I'd love that. I mean, I got no authority here. There's nothing I could actually do to make you. No, it's now, uh, this is going well, I think, with Dr. Lee Kunla. And yeah, I just, I'm, I'm happy to see you. And next time I'm in Toronto, we are going to grab, well, I don't drink, but uh, a beer or something, you and Nathan and me. I think the best part about the show is at the beginning, we talked about how to listen to it. And then at the end, we're talking about scheduling. That's a great show uh, right there. <laughs> a show that talks about how to listen to it, which presupposes you're already listening to it, and then talks about scheduling at the end, which gives you insight to how the show is booked. I mean, what is better than that, Lee? What is better than that? That's why you come to me, I know. Uh, it is really good to see you. Good to see you, man. Okay, I guess this is goodbye. All right, till next time.